We live in a constantly changing world where the speed of information is changing how we think and act and connect with one another. When people in a society lose faith in their institutions, in God and in each other, the nation collapses. We need help rebuilding trust and tying it all together. Welcome to All That To Say, a podcast exploring the interrelatedness of all things in long-form conversation. Adam Phillips, director of USAID's Center for Faith-Based and Neighborhood Partnerships, joins Jim Lyon to talk about global relief, the role of faith leaders, and his own journey to USAID. Hi, this is Jim Lyon, and we live in a complicated world. It's a world where there are many great opportunities and a towering mountain range of challenges. And in a world like that, who are the big players that actually bring solutions to the table and help make this world a better place? All that to say, we are so glad to have with us today Adam Phillips, who this year took on a new mantle of responsibility working for the United States government with the United States Aid for International uh, Agency for International Development, and he is the director of the Center for Faith-Based uh, Partnerships and Neighborhood Partnerships. Of, have I got that right, Adam? Yeah, yeah. Of close. Uh, we are so glad to have you. I know that your world has to be spinning in personal terms. You've just recently moved to Washington, D.C. to uh, uh, not just take the job, but to dive in more completely than you might have from your original pl- perch out on the West Coast. And we are so thankful that you're carving time out for us today. Uh, as I as I think about USAID, which is, I mean, it is a huge agency. What would you say is the budget of USAID? Oh, that's a good question. And, I mean, is it, uh, we're, is it twenty-two <laughs> billion? Billions of dollars range. We are the um, the world's premier international development entity. So we, um, on behalf of the American people, uh, taxpayer dollars are used to. Um, help people in far off places um, living uh, amidst the COVID crisis, living amidst uh, climate change. Um, so we're working on development. Uh, we're working on uh, humanitarian assistance and, uh, and human rights initiatives around the world. And it's, it's just a total honor um, to do that. Well, I, I'm a guy who, you know, uh, so Adam, I'm an old man. I'm just going to give, I'll disclose some stuff here. I took my first trip abroad in 1972 to go to the Munich Olympic Games when I was 20 years old. And uh, that whet my appetite for getting on a plane and seeing the world. I grew up in Seattle, which, uh, you know, is not isolated per se, but man, when I when I start to see the world in all of its diversity and and again, it's, it's opportunities, and, and I just got the buzz out of it, but I also discovered a world of big hurt. Uh, mm-hmm. Saying all that, I'm really I'm buzzed to talk to you about this because you're describing what is the premier relief agency in the whole world, uh, funded by American taxpayers, and it works to address the broken places in human life and experience on a world stage. That's, you know, that could be argued as a you know, a public policy win, it's, it's a diplomatic tool, it could be all that. Uh, it could also just be on its own merits. When you help somebody else in need, uh, that's the right thing to do. That all said, you have a post now where you're networking faith-based communities and neighborhoods and communities across the country and the world to help deliver in the best possible way relief. Before we get into that farther, I just have to think, how in the world did you land this job? I mean, it sounds like it, it's, it's a big job, but still, it's got to give you some excitement. Tell me about Adam Phillips. Where did he come from, and how did you get here? Yeah, it's, a, it's, it's been a journey. I'm incredibly honored to serve in the Biden-Harris administration as the director for the Center for Faith-Based Neighborhood Partnerships at USAID. Um, the, we, my family, we just moved back to D.C. This is um, literally... For my wife and I, it's our third rodeo. For our four-year-old son, he's discovering the nation's capital in uh, with those four-year-old eyes, the monuments, uh, the, the seasons, the humidity, the cicadas that were uh, definitely around this summer. Um, but we spent the last eight years in Portland um, gathering and, and leading a first-of-its-kind inclusive faith community in the city of Portland. Um, and it's just been this extension of this ongoing vocational journey for me where I've had the privilege to serve local congregations, work in broad-based NGOs, 
campaigns, advocacy uh, arenas, uh, particularly around issues uh, pertaining to the global south and uh, global health and, and humanitarian assistance. So um, here we are. It's it's a surprise, but as you know, so much of what last year held in 2020, um, it's it's one of these surprises where I find myself with this new um, opportunity and this new um, sense of purpose to to serve. And so um, that's how we got here. How, okay, Adam, where did you grow up? Um, I was born in uh, the Dayton, Ohio area, uh, and so grew up in Ohio and in California, and. And then ended up in uh, at Ohio State, uh, where I was studying um, international relations, while I was also going very deep in my own personal journey um, in terms of my own sense of um, call. Uh, I was serving and 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 leaning into campus ministry groups there at Ohio State. Felt a sense of call to seminary. Moved to Chicago, Illinois, with my wife Sarah um, two weeks after we graduated from from university. Um, and thought, well, you know, that, that international relations degree I had with an emphasis on, you know, development and peace and these um, the, these things called the Millennium Development Goals, that, that will just sort of be a nice part of my bookshelf in my library because I didn't quite understand how a pastor could be involved in these kind of big global um, initiatives and, and concerns. Um, and... Surprise, surprise, um, pastors, uh, rabbis, imams, uh, <laughs> they are because we are um, we 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 feel a unique uh, need, I think, uh, here uh, in this country and around the world um, when it comes to faith based communities. And I think that's part of how that's part of what I bring to this um, this role, this real sense of understanding what faith communities are, what they do, how they're. Um, you know, we often talk about going the last mile when it comes to fighting malaria or when it's about getting vaccines distributed uh, around the world. Well, we know that faith communities are already there in that last mile. So it's a matter of finding those trustworthy, trusted um, leaders that are on the ground embedded in their communities. Um, you know, as I would say, loving their neighbor as themselves uh, and in their own traditions ways, looking to um, serve the greater good. So that's how. Um, that's how I think about it, and that's how I got here. So I'm, uh, let me just do a little praise of what I think I heard you tell. Uh, active listening. You grew up in Ohio, went to Ohio yeah. State, had some kind of interest in international relations and the big world outside, but also are developing a faith journey and understanding what God might be calling you to do in your own uh, management of your adult life and trajectory. That leads you into the ministry. You're not sure how those two connect, and voila. <laughs> Well, I know it's not so simple as that. There, there were a few things along the way. Maybe I could share one story along the way. All right, sure. Yeah, one when I was in seminary, I had um, an opportunity to, to come to Washington D.C. the first time, um, and I was I was asked, some might say, appointed to go serve at a an advocacy group called Bread for the World, which is uh, uh, I know, know Bread. One of the, yeah, Bread's doing incredible things. I know Joanne Lyons been on your podcast. Joanne yeah, Lyons, yeah. a friend of Bread for the World. Um, so I got this opportunity to learn what faith-rooted advocacy and action looked like uh, on Capitol Hill while I was in seminary. Most of my colleagues were learning how to do weddings and baptisms and preach sermon series. Um, and so I took, a, I took a leap and I said, yeah, I want to try that because I think there's something here for me uh, in terms of how I can live out my vocation in the world. Um, so I went to Washington, D.C. I, I learned from an incredible um, Catholic uh, community organizer, Kathleen O'Toole, who helped me see um, how my faith could be applied in, in, in the public arena. Learned from David Beckman, uh, who's uh, recently retired from Bread for the World. Um, and I just got this real sense of um, identity from that. Uh, clarity of my um, identity and sense of purpose. I, 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 I've always felt like a pastor. I, I've never um, not had that kind of energy or sense of um, clarity in my, my, my role, but I, you know, serving there helped really kind of expand my um, sense of what faith leaders could do in the world. Uh, and so from there, I went and served a church in Chicago. And then I uh, came back to DC, worked at the One Campaign with uh, with Bono and 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 this incredible array of people on the right and the left to, to fight global AIDS 
went um, back to ministry in Portland and now find myself here. So it's just been a, a real, um, a real journey that's been full of so many, um, so many uh, learnings and so much that I've, uh, I feel like I've gleaned more than maybe I've given. And my sense now, a real sense of purpose now is to, to wake up every day, focusing on how we can um, build back better this, this planet that's struggling uh, amidst the, the COVID pandemic, that's, that's facing um, a real climate emergency, that's facing division and democracy backsliding around the world. And how can I help be part of that healing and leadership um, and then get out of the way and, and make sure that those uh, in communities around the world um, are able to, with their own dignity, flourish and, and provide leadership. So that's that's how I that's how I got here and how I feel about it. Adam, as you're listening to me, uh, I'm I'm kind of reliving my own journey because I had I had that same thing going on. I, I when I was young, I wanted to be in politics because I wanted to change the world, and I saw government as that agency. Even though I was a person of faith. And I had a profound commitment to my Christian faith. I thought that maybe my best game would be to intersect the world through uh, politics and to lead people in the writ large in to making that difference. In in an odd way, I, I went into politics and represented Northwest Seattle in the State House in Olympia for some time when I was a young guy. But in all of that, the Lord called me into the ministry. But I'm just resonating with you because my call to ministry was never about just uh, dusting off the hymnal. It, it's about, I want to change the world. So that makes this conversation, again, uh, live. You're now in this chair, and your job is to help people of faith uh, intersect in communities and neighborhoods and all that. What say would How would you describe the proportion of what you do or your ambition to do? Because I know you've just been in the job this year domestically and internationally. My sense is you have to engage people of faith uh, both here at home in the United States as well as abroad. As you referred, there's an infrastructure abroad that can often be a channel for the delivery of help. Absolutely. How do you balance that? Are you focused on the States more or abroad, building relationships, talking to people? What would you say? Yeah, I think, you know, every day is a new journey (laughs) in this role. Um, connecting with faith leaders in Guatemala when it comes to um, the, you know, the irregular migration patterns and looking to make sure that these folks have access to clean water, access to um, job training and, 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 and security. Um, thinking about um, thinking about Ethiopia and working with faith leaders. I uh, spent some time uh, speaking with leaders there in country around the Tigray crisis, which I hope we can talk about in a little bit. Um, you know, I would say on any given day, I am probably it, it, it'll it's like a it's like a spectrum. Some days it'll be 75 percent uh, networking with domestic faith leaders like Muhammad El-Sanusi or Imam Majid or Walter Kim at the NAE or Jim Wallace uh, talking about how do we rally American faith leaders uh to help beat COVID around the world. I mean, we've got an incredible array of voices here doing their part um, domestically and really grateful for their partnership with my colleagues at the White House on that front. Um, But then the pendulum could swing where I'm, you know, spending the bulk of my time uh, ahead of a a, a series of engagements in Southern Africa, or as I was saying in in Central America a moment ago, um, where I'm the kind of point person for our agency and um, in many ways our interagency work to kind of organize the the voices at the table, make sure that we are hearing from the from the right um, the right women's religious, the right um, priest, the right pastor, um, the right uh, prayer breakfast uh, group in Central America that can get us the best um, sense of what's needed on the ground and who are the best folks to partner with. As you were saying, the delivery systems of faith communities are are tried and true. I, I've seen that in my own work when I spent some time with World Vision in the DRC in, in Congo, up uh, in the Ecuador province, that without the faith community, these folks wouldn't be able to have access to not just clean water education, but basic medical needs. And so faith communities around the world, and, and we could spend the whole time talking about across traditions and denominations, um, 
you know, 80% of the world identifies as some type of, uh, with some type of religious conviction and, and they find themselves in these communities. And, and, and so it's a balance, you know, and I'm really grateful for the team at uh, USAID that I'm able to, um, if, you know, we were able to relate to folks in a way that I think previous uh, iterations of this role have not been able to, because we, we're just building on the, the shoulders of those yeah, that come it's before a, us. It's a, a generational assignment, of course. Uh, my understanding is USAID was actually brought together during the Kennedy administration when uh, relief and development aid from the United States government was a little bit more scattershot and there was this attempt to kind of funnel it or strategically harness it to maximize its impact. And all these years on, uh, here we are, billions of dollars every year providing that aid. When you make a call like uh, to faith leaders in Central America or wherever you are in the world, uh, do you find you're wearing a hat as an American government official? Uh, do you find like the door opens or there's a bit of hesitancy or it's A to Z, depending on who you're talking to? What would you say? Yeah, I mean, so far I've only experienced um, a real sense of wanting to lean in with us and to, to take calls and, and or, or to reaching out to us to help us hear um, kind of the needs around the world. Uh, you know, USAID was started 60 years ago, next month, actually, uh, by President John F. Kennedy. Um, in March of that year, uh, in a special message to Congress, Kennedy had this great quote, and I just wanted to read it. He says, there's no escaping our obligations as a wise leader and a good neighbor in the interdependent community of free nations. Our economic obligations as the wealthiest people in a world of largely poor people as a nation no longer dependent upon the loans from abroad that once helped us develop our own economy and our own political obligations as the single largest counter to the adversaries of freedom. Later that year, in a bipartisan vote, Congress passed what was called the Foreign Assistance Act, which established USAID. Uh, USAID uh, really is this extension of the goodwill of, a, of American taxpayers to provide uh, leadership, to provide assistance around the world. Sometimes we've, we've gotten it really right, and sometimes we've gotten it wrong, and we've been learning for 60 years. Um, I'm really honored, I think, because I'm able to step into a faith-based role that's been around for now 20 years. So George W. Bush, uh, President George W. Bush, um, helped create the faith-based uh, interagency framework that um, I'm, I'm a part of across the, the, the administration and across multiple administrations um, from different um, political parties. I think we've built a credibility and the trust with the faith community, both here and abroad. So, you know, folks that wouldn't necessarily be working together, let's say during an election, um, not to get political, but are working together on COVID, are working together on climate, are working together on human rights. So um, that's there's a real um, there's a real I have a real pride in that place of this office, and that we are able to work with people across traditions, uh, across the aisle, in the best sense of this uh, American pluralism, uh, this commitment to American pluralism to to really work uh, work with our neighbors around the world. And so I, I haven't had any. Um, um, anything but open, open doors, I guess, if you will. Now, um, we always want to hear um, critical feedback too, because it helps us get better, right? Sure, I mean, sure. we, we might be missing the mark on a, on a water project, or we might be um, not thinking as holistically as possible around a human rights issue that we're, we're leaning in on. And, and we need to hear that feedback. So um, we have an open door policy here at the agency. Um, and that's certainly the spirit of my office. But you're not finding people abroad saying, if this is U.S. aid, if this is American government money, we're not touching it. You're not getting any of that. People. I mean, it's not, it's, some folks certainly are, are, you know, are, are, you know, my, I mean, the answer to that question is uh, people are looking for American leadership. People are looking for um, America's generosity around the world, especially in this very trying uh, time with the COVID pandemic. I mean, just today we celebrated our 200 millionth COVID vaccine dose distributed uh, around the world. And so wow. we know we've got a long way to go. Um, and when you say uh, that, that COVID, yeah. when you say we just celebrated, you mean those are American funded or provided vaccines, 200 million? Yeah, 200 million U.S. donated COVID-19 uh, vaccines have successfully been delivered to 
more than 100 countries. Um, you know, President Biden said that we will be the world's arsenal of, of vaccines. Um, and we have this very ambitious goal of um, seeing 70 percent of the eligible global population vaccinated uh, by next year. Um, so we're 200 million vaccines into that. And um, we have 200 million reasons to celebrate that, you know, through the generosity of the American people, um, we are able to do what we can to do our part to end this pandemic. We have to do all we can because we know that the pandemic will not be over here at home until it's over everywhere. I mean, we've just saw, I mean, we all kind of had that moment this summer where we realized, oh, there, there's the Delta variant and this thing is mutating. Um, and it really disrupts so much of our life together, whether it's our children in school um, or whether it's our businesses or our faith communities. Like as a pastor, I know like how many more Zoom worship services can we do, right? So, um, you know, I think we're working very hard on that. We work with great partners, uh, global partners on that. And with that American leadership, we hope uh, working alongside our partners at COVAX, uh, the Global Vaccine Initiative, um, and our partners on the Global North and South, we, we can end this pandemic in due time. But it's going to take um, all of us doing what we can. So interesting because I think the COVID debate in this country often is domestically framed. And you're just... Uh, you're helping open the window for a lot of people to remember that this is a global phenomenon and all of us live on the planet together and viruses are no respecter of yeah. customs and borders uh, in the way that we'd like to think. Okay, so I'm just... And, and just to that end, like, I feel a lot of relationship of this, this fight on COVID to the fight against global AIDS. And, you know, 20 years ago when President Bush started the White House faith-based initiatives... Um, he really put to work um, the, the government to work with faith-based communities. And so this isn't a partisan issue. It's not even a, an issue uh, really of, of, of the, the divisions in our many traditions here domestically. I mean, without, without the leadership of evangelicals and Catholics, uh, who are often seen as more conservative on certain issues, we wouldn't be where we are in the fight against HIV AIDS. And I, I saw that firsthand in Ghana and in South Africa um, and so we, we're taking the best parts of our learning on that um, and applying it to this fight against COVID, which is affecting the entire planet um, in ways I don't think any of us could have truly uh, appreciated until we experienced it. So, um, you know, the divisions that we might have at home uh, translate into opportunities to, to really lean in together and, and serve our neighbors around the world. So I'm seeing that begin to change here in my first uh, eight months here on the job. So I'm hopeful. I'm hopeful for our divisions here. Awesome. And so I mean, we've just been talking about the pandemic. That's obviously a huge uh, challenge in the moment. And by that, I mean this year and next and so on. But uh, there, are all, there are so many front lines of human misery and need and broken places in the social infrastructure of our world. And USAID is tackling them all, You or, or many of them. You mentioned Ethiopia and a particular crisis that you'd like to unpack a little bit to illustrate for us some place in the world where USAID is right now on the front line uh, making a difference. Well, we're trying our best in Ethiopia. It's, it's, a, it's a concern that um, really keeps me up at night when I think about it. I mean, today, this, this very hour, millions of civilians are currently experiencing one of the worst humanitarian crises crises in the world. Um, how so? More what than 11, sorry, go ahead. I'm sorry, how is it? Help, because most people listening to us today would not be in tune with the headline from Ethiopia. What's happening? Yeah, so when I was a kid, you know, I'd, I mentioned earlier about um, growing up in Dayton, Ohio. Um, when I was a kid, the congressman in the district, uh, in the district over was uh, uh, a young leader named Tony Hall, Congressman Tony Hall, mm -hmm. um, who's very prayerful faith a rooted man um, who I've had the honor to, to work with. And I actually just spent some time with him earlier in the week, but he was the first uh, U.S. representative to go into Ethiopia during a, just a, the worst famine imaginable. And I, as a child, and I was seeing those pictures on TV and this is, this was in the early eighties and, you know, even like, so it would be pastors and rock stars would come together live aid on MTV um, <laughs> demonstrated this this sense of this global neighborhood that we could see with our with our cameras what was going on within, in Ethiopia there with that famine. Well fast forward here to 2021 um, and for 11 months there's been fighting that's broken out 
Um, and it's very complicated and we could spend uh, a whole other podcast talking about it. And uh, we might want to think about who else could share um, some more of the in-depth needs around Ethiopia, but there've been 11 months of fighting and estimated, I think it's like six to 7 million are now facing severe food insecurity. More than 2 million have uh, fled their homes and up to, I think it's 900,000 are, are facing the famine-like conditions in Tigray in this, this Northern part of the country between uh, the rest of Ethiopia and, and neighboring Eritrea. Um, there in Tigray, these people are, are going multiple days without food and have resorted to eating leaves, uh, some reports have said. There, there's just been a tremendous um, need. And so with partners like the World Food Program and other, and then faith-based NGOs, we have been able to get food, emergency food assistance into the region. Um, but it, the, the situation is dire. The situation is is very dire. We're concerned too about the, the dangerous vilification of humanitarian workers. I mean, we had a we had a partner, faith partner group that lost a, an aid worker um, this summer. Um, so um, we're thinking about Ethiopia a lot and there's so much more to do there. Um, so we, we're really, we're really hoping for a change uh, in the right direction. We had David Austin, who I think you know, uh, yeah. on the podcast earlier with the UN World Food Program, and you just mentioned them as a partner. So how does that work? How do you differentiate or how can my audience differentiate the two uh, houses, the UN World Food Program and USAID, how do they work together? No, I'm, I'm really grateful for the World Food Program and, and their a Nobel winning work. <laughs> I mean, they, they're, 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 they rightly are deserving of the honor. Um, I got to meet David Austin back when I was in Portland before we moved out here. Um, and, um, you know, both the World Food Program and USAID work with the U.S. government to save lives USAID's focus is on development initiatives broadly, while WFP focuses on providing life-saving food to people displaced or affected by a myriad of factors to save people from starvation. They've got these, they've got the, the airplanes, they've got the, the trucking. Um, while USAID has, has similar emergency humanitarian response programs, and we work very closely with WFP on these, as an agency, much of our work is focused on addressing development challenges by, by strengthening the capacities of local institutions and communities to be better able to prevent really and manage future crises uh, and to promote longer term growth, uh, to promote human dignity, to promote pros prosperity, um, flourishing. So you can think of World Food Program as, uh, as the emergency food assistance uh, group and they are some of the bravest, um, most uh, comprehensively like able to go uh, into in the far off places uh, imaginable and really, um, really grateful for them and, and especially um, David's uh, partnership over there. We're trying to do that in some very targeted ways, but we're, we're looking at how do we make sure a, a country or region doesn't get to that place? Mm -hmm. um, so that's, that's what, that's how they, you can think of them differently. You mentioned earlier, the MDGs, the millennial development goals now uh, kind of, renewed for another decade as the sustainable development goals. These are, this is a vocabulary that comes out of the concert of nations at the United Nations, I think. Uh, is that something that, that, that sounds like uh, the developmental side of USAID. Are, are you aligned with those SDGs? Do you see those as, uh, yeah, absolutely. You know, I mean, targets? I think, yeah, I mean, they all have this 2030 framework target uh, around the sustainable development goals. These 17, comprehensive, integrated goals. Um, we've seen American leadership waiver on that from time to time, um, but we're really uh, realizing how interconnected we are, realizing how the pandemic revealed that we were um, missing the mark on reaching some of these goals. Um, so yes, we are very much about um, th these 2030 SDG commitments, doing what we can um, through our own policy to, to meet them. We're thinking, thinking about global health, thinking about education, thinking about women's empowerment and rights, um, thinking about um, uh, climate change. I mean, when I was at uh, Bologna, Italy at the G20 Interfaith Forum last month, we uh, hosted, a, I hosted a panel on a sustainable development goals and, and how faith-based organizations are partnering to achieve them. So working with 
the the Church of Latter-day Saints, working with um, folks like Islamic Relief uh, or the Aga Khan Foundation, uh, working with the the the, the Tuchi uh, Buddhist Network. I mean, we are we are seeing people that oftentimes don't agree on a lot of things agree that we've got to do something on 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 on, on the COVID pandemic. We've got to do something on climate. We can we can do more and better on education, especially for. Uh, girls. Um, so that's 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 the beauty of these initiatives that that they can at least bring us together with some common a common lens to uh, to achieve some achievable goals. You know, it's interesting because I, I sit as the chair of a of an Indian uh, uh, ministry on the subcontinent. It it's <clears throat> it has footprints in one hundred thousand villages. And what they have done in recent years is align so much of their ministry ambition with the SDGs. And what that has done, just what you've described, it's opened up doorways to achieve so much more farther faster uh, because they're wholly congruent with their faith. The SDGs about women's rights and the food security and, and, and children's development and all that are wholly within the, the New Testament gospel. And as they kind of embrace that, then that opens up partnerships and realities that they never before dreamed could exist. So I, I hear what you're saying. I've been a witness to some of that and so glad to know that my government is engaged in that same track. Now, you just mentioned, though, this kind of pluralism, a pluralistic approach. You've, you've referenced already in the conversation American pluralism as a kind of value. Uh, here we are, this, this polygot country of 100 different points of view on 100... Yeah. You know, on everything, but we're still one nation, and in the world, there's even more diversity and variance of views. But there's a kind of union about some of these these human rights issues. Or when we say human rights, sometimes people go to the law books, but just just the quality of human life or flourishing is another word you used that describes the human experience. All right, so mm -hmm. help help us understand how pluralism can be not a boogeyman, because some people could say that, oh, that means I've got to throw out my convictions, I have to mm. abandon my core uh, theology or predilections. So to be pluralistic, when in fact, is it possible to hold true to what I believe and at the same time mm. partner with people who have different views? I mean, that seems to be a large part of what you have to do, Adam. How's that working for you? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, for me, I think pluralism is, is actually the solution to so many of our problems. I mean, it means not only recognizing these differences and, and, and there are tremendous differences uh, in our societies and our traditions, maybe even in our own neighborhoods and our communities, right. Um, even in places we worship, but the difference between these faith groups seems really, I think only monumental to those that maybe stand on the sidelines or, or are looking to remain separate. Um, but for those of us, and, and, and I hear this coming from you too, and um, for those of us that um, work between them, work with them, we, we find so much more in common. It's a desire to help those in need, uh, the ability to put others first, and the hope that tomorrow will bring a better day. I mean, we have so much more in common than what we have that divides us. And I have very strong convictions, um, personal convictions, spiritual convictions. Um, but I also know that um, those convictions are, are, are better shaped by rolling up my sleeves and, and working with, and not just dialogue, but working with and alongside folks that I disagree with, um, that see the world differently. It helps make me having a better ability to see the world as well. So we, I mean, that's, that's where it's at. I mean, go, go ahead. Well, no, I'm just, as you're talking, I'm sorry to jump in. So yeah. do you find your own convictions strengthened in this larger table of voices and points of view, or do you feel threatened by those in, in terms of your own personal core self? Well, I think that we are in a very unique moment in world history, and especially in this nation's history, where we've got to think about what are the what are the bedrock essentials, what are the foundational things that we need to have some kind of common um, common shared understanding around. For me, uh, that is pluralism. That is this commitment to uh, because it informs how I think 
we as an American people and those around the world are are leaning in and fighting COVID or, or fighting the climate crisis or or lifting up the, the, the people of Ethiopia. Um, you know, we see um, so much at stake, whether it's what, what is true, um, science-based, evidence-based approaches to solutions. Um, and I think I'm not so much seeing um, any of my convictions threatened, but I do know that some of our bedrock foundational ways of being are under threat. And that's when I think about um, democracy backsliding around the world. And, and, and without those foundational principles, um, we, we will not um, solve these, these problems that loom large. I mean, faith communities have, have coexisted for generations, not, not always peacefully, of course, but, but, but when we can bring together people of different backgrounds to the table, we can, we can, end, we can uh, make sure that uh, AIDS is prevented from mother-to-child transmission, right? I mean, we've seen that in our lifetime. They, they call that the Lazarus effect. When, when people are um, uh, on death's door dying from HIV AIDS, they get some uh, very affordable ARV drugs or therapies, and, and they're able to live and thrive and, and be part and parcel of healthy communities. Moms that might be affected by HIV are, are um, able to prevent that transmission in utero. I mean, these are everyday, ordinary miracles. And so for me, I've only, I only feel like seven, eight months into this role that my my sense of purpose is only getting more and more sharpened as I see, uh, I don't feel uh, uh, any threat at all in terms of my own convictions. I, I, I see them um, becoming um, an extension of of this greater, this this interconnected neighborhood of greater good, if you will. You know, you've mentioned a couple of times the, the backslide of free democracies mm. in the world. Uh, how do you see USAID uh, in the mix of slowing the slide or reversing the trend? Yeah, I mean, President Biden has called for a, a, a summit for democracy uh, and that will take place this December um, for a couple of days. It'll be virtual in December, but it will inaugurate a year of action, a uh, year of action to strengthen democracy around the world. And we hope to be able to do an in-person summit um, a year from now. So this 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 focus on on ending the backsliding of democracy is, is paramount, especially when we think about the needs uh, that we face. So at USAID, we're, we're working on a whole host of uh, developments uh, and human rights side events that will bring together faith leaders, community uh, leaders to talk about in their own words, um, what's going on in, in West Africa, what's going on in Southeast Asia, what's going on in Latin America, uh, elsewhere, um, in order to help us not just understand, but tell a story that um, community leaders, local leaders, many of them faith-based, um, are are leading the way, and also see this as a concern uh, in terms of the um, erosion of democratic norms. And so, I mean, for me, I every time I think about um, voting or democracy, I think about um, going to Sierra Leone in two thousand seven and being part of their um, first uh, free and fair elections after their civil war. And people lined up for miles um, and they had not been able to do that for some time. And I saw Muslim leaders and Christian leaders working together. They had many multiple parties turning out, trying to rally people to vote. But at the end, at the end of the day, their goal was the same, to make sure that people were included in free and fair, peaceful elections. And that was a, that was a shining model that, that year. Um, and so, I know that's that's happening around the world in other places. And so where where we can lean in and, and, and do our part, we certainly will. Um, and I think the Democracy Summit is going to be a, a good opportunity to do that. You know, sometimes I think uh, the American public or, or, or segments of the American public look with a jaundiced eye at American foreign aid uh, because, well, you know, it's abused or uh, it's it's wasted or or maybe it's it's sent into channels where there's corruption and doesn't really get to the ground or, you know, let the world take care of itself. Uh, we have our own problems at home. I mean, there, there's a whole matrix of objections and suspicions of American foreign aid, which is actually now your bailiwick. I mean, that's what you're working on. Totally. 
what would you say to that person who's saying, I just don't, I wish we'd just cut that back or reduce it or get rid of it altogether because, man, look at my own city. It's got a lot of broken down bridges or blighted neighborhoods. What do you say to them? Well, for fractions of a dollar, we're we're changing and helping save lives, whether it's amidst COVID. Um, we're helping communities um, develop and be- become places for clean water, for education, uh, uh, we're, we're on fractions of a dollar. So we can do both, right? We, we know we have infrastructure needs here in, in the U.S. We know uh, roads and bridges need repair. We know, et cetera. But for fractions of dollars spent here, um, we are having a, a maximum impact. I mean, USAID works in 12 sectors on five continents. We have something like 80 missions around the world in country. The, the 12 sectors include agriculture and food security, environment, energy, and infrastructure. We, we have a humanitarian assistance wing. Uh, we work on democracy, human rights, and governance, as I've been talking about, gender equality, women's empowerment, innovation and technology, economic growth, education, global health, nutrition, water, and sanitation. We work in Latin America, in the Caribbean, uh, the Middle East, Africa, Europe, Eurasia, and in Asia. And um, while we might be headquartered in DC, these, 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 these programs are implemented on the ground with local partners, with local um, uh, consultation. Um, and the, the feedback from, the, from on the ground is that, you know, we need, we, we need your help too. And so it's not a matter of choosing either or, it's a matter of saying, how can we, for the, uh, with the most transparency, with the most effectiveness, make an impact on these challenges. We've got strong bipartisan support out of any probable, uh, out of out of a list of federal programs I could come up with uh, in this conversation um, where there's so much fighting and, and division. On Capitol Hill, uh, both parties, uh, and I think of champions in both that are are always saying we need to increase our foreign assistance budget because it's, it's, it's just fractions of pennies on a dollar and it makes such an impact. And I can't help but ask, you have a poster behind you. It says 20 uh, cents yeah. can save a life. What's yeah. that about? Uh, so that's kind of what I was talking about with the uh, HIV AIDS pandemic that I, I really grew up kind of understanding and, and learning about and, and cutting my teeth in terms of advocacy and development. Um, it used to be for 20 cents on the dollar, you could save a life with a, with a little white pill. So you see the little white pill. Yeah. Uh, and so it's just a campaign poster um, from the, those days and this idea that, um, you know, people who are on death's door dying of AIDS were, were resurrected from these, uh, these ARV pills. And so, uh, you know, it's, a, it's, a, it's an amazing thing to think about. Where does hope come from? You know, hope comes in, in a lot of different packages and a lot of diff- from a lot of different places. Um, and sometimes you can't describe where your hope comes from, right? It's, it's, it comes from, from beyond our own sense of understanding, but sometimes hope comes in the form of a little pill that can literally transform an individual's life. And we think about that, that little girl whose, whose mom or dad are able to, 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 to be fully in their lives because of that. And then it's generational change. You know, it's interesting how life marches on and we, we forget mm. so much as you're talking about the the global AIDS crisis, which doesn't get much airtime anymore because actually it was addressed in a robust way. But there was a time when that was a, f- a horrifying wave. And I remember myself being in Uganda and mm. as I was in the capital city of Kampala being introduced to hundreds and hundreds of children who had been orphaned by AIDS or their mothers, as you described, were near death consequent to this mm scourge. And many people had misunderstandings about the AIDS transmission and so on and so forth. And, and that is a, that is a, a challenge. The AIDS is still a thing, but it is not the global crisis it once was because the world came together. And as you referenced, uh, President Bush seemed to take a lead improbably in, in Africa in combating that where it was raging so much. And uh, I'm just reflecting that we talk about that then and today there's COVID, uh, you know, years from now, there'll be another challenge, but there's no hope of actually providing remedy without working together, it seems to me. 
and that's where you are. That's what you're doing is building those partnerships. Yeah, I think I think when it when it comes to to remedying the problems we face, and and the problems are en enormous. They are they are pandemics. They are planetary problems around um, rising temperatures and the effects on weather patterns with climate change. Um, when we think about uh, even our own more maybe intimate problems of division in our own countries and in our own families and homes, um, it that is remedied by coming together and looking at evidence-based solution-oriented approaches. And through the leadership uh, of President George W. Bush, uh, which was carried forward and expanded by President Obama, we saw uh, the, the beginning of the end uh, of the HIV AIDS crisis. Still, it's still a high concern in, 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 in so many communities around the world, but it's not the sort of hopeless um, fight that um, I certainly felt when I first got involved in this work. Um, and, it, and, it, and it takes people setting down their differences or maybe even in midst their differences coming together with, a, with an even better solution. And I think that's what the world needs and what we hope to do through um, the Biden-Harris administration when it comes to COVID and, and climate and, and ensuring uh, strength and democracies. Okay, so Adam, I'm a Jesus guy. And so I, I've been formed and framed with a profound experience uh, in the Christian community and, mm. and in my faith in, in Jesus, all right? And uh, I, I, I'm not like every American. I'm just one of some. And I, I, I'm just setting you up for this question. To, <laughs> you know, I know that you, 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 you also have got some of that Jesus stuff going on in your history. Yeah. Now, now talk to people like me and tell us why we need to get on board and think about ways we can come alongside in the kinds of work that you do, in the way in which USAID is helping. Uh, I, I want to ask you next, after you answer this question about why Jesus people like me should be on it, but uh, how we can actually invest or partner or what can we do to push the ball forward. But before we get to that, just, just, just talk to this segment of your public. What would you say to yeah. them? I mean, if I was invited in to uh, Sunday service or Wednesday night Bible study, which I, I, I still do quite a bit. Um, I mean, I'm a pastor. Uh, I was a church planner. Um, I, I resonate with, 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 you know, these ancient lessons and traditions and truth that's given to us. I mean, think about Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, right? Uh, love your neighbor as you love yourself. Um, this call to defend uh, widows and orphans, this call to, to make the world a better place. It, I, I would say that it's up to people of faith to, to not only um, carry those lessons forward in solving some of these solutions, but in their own ways, in their own traditions, finding common cause with others that have other ancient words of wisdom and traditions uh, and working with them uh, on all that ills us, whether it's in our neighborhoods or whether it's um, abroad, I, I think about all the amazing work done um, last year um, when we were facing the, the the darkest days of the COVID pandemic, when where people were were losing their homes and 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 not having enough food on the table. I know back in Oregon where we were living, um, it was the faith community um, and uh, Christians, Muslims, Jews, Hindus, Sikhs um, coming together. Um, and taking care of one another. And in the same way, I think that folks uh, that find themselves on a church on a Sunday morning have a huge opportunity to make a real difference in this world of great need, um, not only by um, lifting up others uh, and seeking their welfare as they would themselves, but to really tell us, hey, do more of that. Help, help more people. Can you, can you focus on solving this COVID crisis in this community and that, and working with those local leaders. I mean, we need your voices too, to help us do all we can and to keep um, focused. So this, this combination of taking the best parts of your, your ancient wisdom traditions and, and real faith, spiritual convictions into this present day and helping us fight these present concerns that are very real and profound. And without the faith community, um, 
we wouldn't be where we are even uh, like today celebrating 200 million vaccines distributed. We've got a lot of work to do and faith leaders and, and community groups are going to be a major part of that. Um, and we would love for, for, for churches and, and faith communities to tell that story uh, as well. Uh, once we are able to, to share more in person. I think I'm hearing you say that I don't have to betray my commitment to Jesus to walk alongside with other people who don't think like me to solve common problems. Uh, and, and that's part of the challenge, though. I mean, it's a little bit of the Good Samaritan story, isn't it? That mm. here we have a, a cultural, ideological, and historic division yeah. of people groups, and yet uh, Jesus is pretty clear. Uh, everybody's going to work together here. The Samaritan is going to help this other guy <laughs> who's not necessarily out of cut from the amazing. same cloth. And yeah. now, but, and that seems obvious to me, and I'm glad I just wanted to give that's you a chance to speak to Jesus stories, like telling this story of where the good guy who might have often been the bad guy was actually helping transform this life. And they were the model and we were supposed to, as Christians who, which I do identify as one supposed to emulate the, the Samaritan who was outside of the tradition. So, you know, these, these stories um, that are very real to me, very living um, help me uh, I think find common cause with folks who I would never, ever find myself necessarily um, worshiping with or agreeing with, that, that we're all in this together in this profound way when it well, comes to... And human to suffering, exactly. no matter what your frame of reference, is something that God cares about. And, mm. uh, you know, the Good Samaritan is a story that Jesus gave in response to a question about what do I have to do for eternal life and who's my neighbor? <laughs> so all that works together. But now let me spin that around the other way. So Adam, talk to the audience today who might be tuning in who, who they don't even think there is a God or they're not sure, they're agnostic, or they just think, you know, this whole spiritual stuff is like, that's out there for some people who grandma raised up. Why should those people be in the game with USAID? Oh, well, I mean, it's going to take all of us to, to fight these battles of COVID. And I know I keep, I keep saying that there are these, these big battles that we're facing and they're in COVID climate um, and democratic backsliding. But I, it, for me, it's, it, it's going to take all walks of life. Um, people that find common cause, uh, people of faith, people of no particular faith, people that are anti-faith, saying, you know what, we can get shots in arms. You know what, people should have clean water. Um, USAID is working with uh, the best um, leaders across all of these tra traditions, proudly faith-based, proudly not, um, Republican and Democrat. I mean, we are coming together because the world needs us to. And <clears throat> some of my most uh, inspiring colleagues hold no particular faith. Um, and for me to be able to be in the room with them um, is a great joy because it's it's, a, it's an ability to demonstrate that that idea of pluralism that I was talking about earlier. And that this real sense that we're, we really are better when we lean in together. Um, so I would say to, to anyone watching, to anyone thinking about, all right, what do we do around foreign assistance? <laughs> what do we do around um, fighting uh, global pandemics. Well, lean in. We need you. We need all of you here uh, in this fight. And we need all of us doing our, our best to um, raise these issues in our communities, no, no matter where we find ourselves. And I find that when, um, when I'm able to, to, to raise, um, raise up stories that are not from my own, it actually helps make the case that these are um, better these are, these are things worth fighting for. Abroad, uh, faith, faith communities, uh, if I could be, you know, a singularity in my own journey, Christian missions, I know that that's not the sum of all faith uh, initiatives, but uh, so much infrastructure, it seems to me, exists abroad. So that when we talk about USAID, it's not only about engaging uh, different points of view in this country, but you are having to deliver through these channels. We've already talked about this a little bit. The the social infrastructure in so much of the developing world, the global South, is consequent to faith-based uh, charities and initiatives. I've, I've heard several times that the Ebola crisis could not have been remedied 
uh, in Africa, were it not and as remedy, again, Ebola will always be lurking in the background, but it did not leapfrog into the whole world or ravage whole countries in the way it might have, were it not for the infrastructure of of many missionaries and and charities that were born out of a faith commitment. So would you, how do you work with those faith-based groups uh, on the ground? I mean, do you're open to everybody or, 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 or you're, you're evaluating based on data about their efficiency or productivity or uh, is there some kind of screen that you use to yeah. decide who gets what or how, who's a partner and who's not? Well, we work with faith communities in, a, in, a, in an array, uh, in a diverse array of, of ways. Um, you know, faith is a global common factor. I think over 80% of the world's population identifies as religious um, and we work with faith-based groups. Um, sometimes we work with them in, in, in partnership around funding. Sometimes we work with them uh, in partnership at coming together around the same table to, to raise awareness and lift up concerns. Uh, and then we also work with faith-based institutions and universities. Um, I think the lens that we bring to bear, no matter who we work with, is is it evidence-based? Is it solution-oriented? Is it a way in which we want to see real lasting change happen? And so we have this whole very um, robust process for awarding grants, right? And so a number of faith-based groups are receiving granting through that, uh, through that procurement process. Um, we're looking to to strengthen that process with our localization uh, approach that we'll be unveiling in the coming uh, weeks um, to look for new and non-traditional partners, faith-based groups and others uh, to make it easier to partner with us on that front. But um, when it comes to, you know, thinking about Ebola and Zika, yeah, absolutely. We wouldn't have seen an end to those, to those um, very dire health concerns. And that's, you know, the Biden-Harris administration has seen that and listened to that. And so we just in, unveiled a, a government-wide uh, approach to fighting COVID around the world. And in that policy that you have a number of times where faith-based uh, initiatives are mentioned, um, half a dozen uh, underscored emphases on working with faith-based groups, which you, you wouldn't have seen in the past. And it wasn't because it was like hostility towards faith-based groups. It just, we didn't quite realize uh, how... The, the how um, profound these delivery systems and were and how these leaders were so trusted in their communities. So when we think about uh, vaccine hesitancy and misinformation, we know that imams and 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 uh, nuns and and pastors are uh, and rabbis are going to be the truth tellers on that. They're going to be helping make sure people know that the vaccines are safe and where to get them. So we're working with the faith-based group there. Um, and all the secondary effects from COVID too, which gets back to the getting back on the SDG um, 2030 goal pathway. I mean, that's how we work with them. So the lens is, is not so much which faith group it's about, it's about, are these faith groups in common purpose and common cause mm -hmm. for a solutions oriented approach? And so to that end, and I, wanted to share this with you. We are about to launch the first ever of its kind uh, agency policy on religious engagement. And so for the first time ever in the 60 years of USAID, 20 years of the faith-based office, and this uh, policy doesn't actually exist. We've got you know snippets of what it can look like with the COVID policy I just described. But for the first time ever, we'll be um, working with faith-based groups and others to inform how we work in strategic ways with faith-based communities near and far. Um, and we're going to have an open comment period on that. We're going to be soliciting like wisdom and advice from others. So I'd love that, um, that, that, um, that policy to be shared with, with your community here. And I'll make sure you all get a hold of it so that you can help us make it even a, a better policy. We hope to launch it in the spring of next year. And it will, it's not just words on paper. It will, it, it literally will inform how people, uh, in country will work with faith-based and religious leaders uh, on all aspects of their of their of their approach. Thank you. Can you name somebody, maybe someone that's prominent that we've all heard of, or maybe someone we've never heard of, that is a faith-based leader that you you're you're saying they are playing a role that's really constructive, helping change the world. 
and, mm-hmm. and, and help people flourish everywhere. Can you just illustrate somebody you know, worked with, or have heard of? Yeah, I mean, I, I think about, I mean, I mentioned Joanne Lyon earlier, who yes. is a kind of hero to me um, on the global front. How, how um, so? Let's talk about Joanne for a minute. Well, oh, name, I mean, name, name I was, one thing about her that makes her heroic, in your view. Oh, she's a truth teller, um, and she's helps. she helps people focus in on the right things, especially in this time of of disinformation and confusion and division. I mean, when it was with, with her work with World Hope, um, making sure that we were all focused on helping kids in far off places in sub-Saharan Africa, whether it's uh, her work in the denomination. I mean, she's just, she's just, um, you know, we think about Dr. King's call to be a drum major for justice. I mean, like that's, when I think about that, I think about Joanne Lyon. I think too about, um, um, I mean, there are just so many amazing uh, faith-based groups. Um, I was able to go to the, the Vatican this past summer and meet with um, the, the heads of some of these women's religious orders, these nuns. Um, I think about Sister Sheila Kenzie, uh, who uh, I got to sit down with, and she brought eight of her colleagues, all from the Global South, who were kind of coming in and out of Rome. And I heard from um, women religious leaders from Brazil, from, from Cameroon, um, from, uh, from, uh, Southeast Asia that we're saying, look, um, this is what we're doing on the ground. And these are not people with platforms and Twitter and Instagram. These are folks that are just doing the work in hidden ways, uh, that are making a profound difference in real humans' lives. And I, when I think about that, I just think this is what it means to, to seek dignity. This is what it means to, to do what we can. So I hope to do that in the administration here at USAID uh, in the time allotted. Um, and, I, I, and I'll be waking up every day thinking about um, folks like Sister Sheila who are, who are doing it with others uh, in, in, in more quiet ways. Well, you've just kind of built a bridge to uh, regular people like us, uh, regular guys like me. What would you say to us? Okay, get in the game, Jim. Here's here are one or two ways, uh, or I, I've seen you make a statement about four takeaways for USAID. Yeah. You know, so give us some concrete action step. What would you recommend to just regular folks? Well, um, first of all, it's regular folks that are going to get this job done, and I had no ambitions for this job <laughs> when I uh, when I had the opportunity to, to lean in and, and, and come back to Washington D.C. So. I find a real sense of wonder and sense of purpose in this work. So um, it's regularly um, leaning in on this concern around, I think, I mean, we've got to end COVID. We have, we've got to end uh, the senseless deaths from COVID, whether it's um, folks experiencing the the virus, uh, suffering and and dying from the virus, or whether it's the secondary effects. Um, We've got to keep telling stories uh, in our own communities about positive change, but also where need is need remains. And so whether you're with a, with a faith community or a campus group, or whether you're traveling abroad, um, look to connect with civil society leaders that don't look like you. Civil society leaders is, is, uh, is, uh, is government talk for, look for other faith-based groups that might not worship like you, um, but are, are working on the same things and see if you can get, get together with them for a meal. Um, look for the USAID mission. Uh, look for us on, on the ground in far off places and just open up these areas of dialogue. And then where you can, make sure that um, people know that the, 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 good, the good work we do is fractions of a dollar that are um, able to be used for great impact and that, that, that tell those stories of, of change. Um, like today, 200 million vaccines distributed, many more to, to go, but um, we're on the right path. You know, you think about, again, the value proposition. And mm. uh, USAID has a budget that ranges from 22 to $27 billion annually. Uh, that it's, it's an astonishing sum, but as a proportion of what the American government spends, it's really it's less than 20 cents on a dollar, but for sure. I mean, it's the pennies on a dollar. And yet the difference it can make. And isn't that true for all of us in every dollar that we spend? Uh, a few pennies seem like a small thing, but man, it can make such a big difference when you're working in partnerships 
uh, and makes a difference. Adam, it's been so energizing for me to just listen to you talk and to just be able to intersect and and to hear some of the world uh, stories that you're telling and excited for of, for your adventure, which actually you're kind of in the first chapter of this adventure in your present post because you have some years to go with that. Uh, we will pray that the Lord will bless what you do and that life will be better for untold thousands and millions because of the work. And, you know, as an American taxpayer, I'm so proud to think while I don't support everything that my American tax dollars do, I can support this and be so glad that uh, our government understands that generosity is good for everyone, including ourselves. Adam, may the Lord bless you. Thanks for joining us. Uh, you know, this podcast is called All That to Say, and that, that's, that's a phrase to summarize a lot of talk. All that to say, uh, the world needs us to work together and to do it for the common good. Thank you for being a part of that. Thank you so much. It's been a, it's been a joy. God bless. Blessings. For more information, visit allthattosay.org. Thank you for joining the conversation. Don't forget to like and subscribe.